So for the past two weeks, I've been, I feel like I've been secluded in some underground bunker just working, which I might, effectively, that's been my story. I haven't been on Twitter. I haven't been following the news. You uh, canceled on recording. Yeah. For the, the second time in a month. <clears throat> I just haven't had time. I literally have no idea what's been going on outside of the work I've been doing. Well, it's a good thing we have this Good Day Sir podcast to keep you informed on the latest news. <laughs> exactly. So you're going to have to inform me, keep me up to date. I do know <laughs> that uh, we were talking about this. Was it last week when there was, like, there was just two whole days where Salesforce was going so slow that I couldn't get anything done? The first day, it was just – and I actually think there were two different things happening here. One of them was Salesforce's fault and one of them was not. Um, just any kind of – any metadata – type stuff so apex compiling visual force compiling it was all incredibly slow i mean I, in fact i was i mean i was on deadline that you know trying to get stuff done for of course and and it's just going so incredibly slow. it's taken me just you know to run a test and get feedback and make some changes it's just it's all you know take what should take you 30 seconds is taking you 10 minutes yeah so that was one day next day same thing continues but then through the ui salesforce is getting really slow like things are just timing out and and when I try to do something with meta edit, metadata API, I'm getting like SSL um, handshake errors. Like it's not that it's slow; it's just stuff's just failing, failing to connect even. And this has gone on for like two hours, and you know I'm, I'm checking trust, and there's nothing on trust. And then finally, I see um, who's the new MVP that's nearby? Nana Greg is yeah. that her name? I see she tweets that um, Salesforce updated trust. I go look at trust, and it says people. So, you know, there's been some people reporting a you know, network issues where, you know, the team is looking into that. And that's what it said for a few hours. And I don't even know what the resolution was to it. I didn't see it, but I don't, that, that's one of the things that may not have been their fault. You know, there could have been a bad route somewhere on the internet and they, they have no control over that, but that's, you know, hey, that's cloud computing for you, right? Yeah. Well, didn't you, didn't you ping the servers to see and saw that they were rerouting? <clears throat> yes, I was getting, um, they, I, I think this is some kind of DNS trick, but they can basically, dynamically send you to the other data there's there's two data centers right <coughs> sunnyvale and and chicago i guess hmm. normally you're on i don't know if normally people on the east coast kind of normally use that chicago data center but i was i, I had never seen this before but i was getting rerouted to chicago hmm. so i was like oh that's new and it was that's when i noticed it was fixed too. was when i started getting rerouted but man so that was just oh Salesforce stressful. Just it's a stress know, of meeting the deadline. It's already of trying to get everything enough. done, and then on top of it, it's you're already slow enough. I already can't do any work while I'm on airplanes. It's all it's already you know just monotonous and inefficient. And then f- for it to get even worse, because I don't know what happens. I don't know if they've got you know when when it's slow for a couple of days like that, and they've just got general performance degradation. Yeah. And you know, and the weird thing is, it wasn't through the UI except for when that network problem started. It seemed, it seemed normal to the UI, which their, their, their UI is not particularly snappy, so, but it was its normal speed. And it, the, it was just the developer stuff. The, the, and notice they didn't put anything into trust until it started affecting those users. Right. I mean, oh, 90% yeah. of the oh, time, yeah. if there's some kind of issue and affects yeah. developers, it does not go on the trust. Nope. It's only when it affects users. Yeah. If we can't get through the API or, or we can't connect through <clears> the SOAP <throat> API or REST APIs or any of, anything involving developers, non-point-and-click UI, it won't go on the trust. Yeah. That's why trust is, that's the most ironically named system they have. Because you can't ever trust it. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Man, I've just been crazy, crazy busy. Um, you want to talk about the chatter stuff I was talking about earlier? Sure. All right. So chat away. Yeah. So we're we're building this system, mm-hmm. and it it kind of involves a, a feed of information. And the first ride I went down was <laughs> that look on your face. It's, it's kind of cheesy. Like you're serious. Um, and the, the first kind of first implementation of it, just a real quick one, kind of almost prototype was basically building the building like a, this kind of like a custom feed item object or something and then linking thing, linking things to it. And then we thought, cause you're involved with this, you know, I got your opinion and we threw around some ideas, but maybe we can use chatters basically as like a mule to carry this because the users. Well, yeah, cause, well, yeah back up. Cause what we did is we started listing out the different features and things we wanted our feed service to handle right and at some point in the conversation we just kind of looked at it and said that sounds like everything chatter is supposed to be able to do so why rebuild it you know let's let's try to use chatter for this it's one of those things on paper or if you're just looking at features or if you just see a demo it looks great chatter seems great salesforce seems great you know visual force seems great everything it all see it all at a high level until you until it hits real requirements you know actual details where subtleties and details matter. Implementation matters. <clears throat> so hitting all kinds of stuff. So, for example, I wanted to get an art, like a knowledge article in a chatter feed. Mm-hmm. Well, you really can't. You can't do that. I mean, like, so if you you can add a record in chatter, right? So, if like, say you're in a chatter group, you can add a record to the group, but you can't add an article. It's not a thing. So, I created a custom object, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to create a custom object called article reference, and I'll just make a link. On that, a, a lookup field to an article. Well, you you can't look up to knowledge articles. Sorry. Where's my buzzer? Mm. No, no, no looking up to articles for you, right? <laughs> so then I thought, well, crap. Okay, I guess I'll just you you can on a knowledge article type, you can create a you can create custom fields and you can look up to other things. So I right. so I tried that, and so then I try to you know basically add a record of this article reference custom object to this chatter feed or to a chatter group. And so after I created that custom object and everything, I was able to do it, added it to the, to this group, but it actually doesn't put it in the feed. It, no. it, it has this like side, it's almost like a related list of, yeah. of records, but they don't, when you add one, it doesn't, there's no way to get it in the feed. You cannot create a chatter post. You cannot post a chatter, a reference to a record of any sort. Right. Ridiculous. This is Salesforce. Well, then well, then we thought, whenever we found that, we thought, okay, well, maybe you have to actually make a post on that record and it'll show up in that group feed. Thinking, And my thought was that the record is now, or the group is now subscribed to that record. They should be able to see whatever's getting posted on that. But it didn't work that way <laughs> either. So what what is the point of the record being referenced to the group? I guess you can just have like here's three records of interest if you're in this group or something. It doesn't, you know? doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem useful no, at all. The use case is I mean, weird. The, the posts aren't even eating, aren't even getting sent to the to the group feed. Right, right, exactly. They're, it's not really a post. That's what's weird when you're in the when you're posting a chatter post and you've got what is that called the publisher? Is that I called guess. the publisher? I guess. I don't know. <sighs> anyway, and you've got so you've got what poll, you've got you can just do a post. You can add a link. You can, what are the other options? I need to get in there and look. Um, I'm not in Salesforce. You can add, um, it's file? Yeah, you can add yeah. a file. You can add a poll if you want a poll, right? You can, can you ask a question? Is that, is that a thing? That's a poll, basically, I think. It is. And one of the one, one of them is add a record. 
all of those end up creating a post in that feed that you're in, whether mm-hmm. it's your own personal, whether you're on an object or whether you're in a group, it creates a post, except the add a record. But there's nothing in the UI that indicates that it doesn't add a record. Right. It just doesn't add a record. You just get this. It, it doesn't add a post. So yeah. nothing shows up in a feed. And then I, that's when I looked at you and I was like, wait a minute. Out of all these things, there's one thing that, that, that does not create a post. All the other ones do. But there's no UI or visual indication to that. And that's when, that's when I asked you, how did they get away with this? Twitter wouldn't be able to get away with such a crappy UI. Facebook wouldn't be able to get away with such a crappy UI. Yelp or anything else wouldn't. I mean, any, any of the consumer applications that really require good UI, Yeah. right? I mean, we're talking about adoption, and, and it's brutal, right? People, you, you need to be usable, and it needs to be simple, and it needs to do what you think it would do. And How think, does Salesforce get away with that? aspects of it are okay. How does Salesforce, Salesforce get away with Chatter, the Chatter Desktop app still being this eight-year-old piece of crap flash flex thing <laughs> that looks terrible on a high DPI well, that's display? Gonna, that's what I was going to bring up, that you know, the tools and everything else, the <clears throat> UI, the user experience around it kind of sucks. It's kind of just kind of lagging. I mean... And this leads. We, we talk about tools like Slack. That I was going to say, this leads use. into Slack. It's yeah. inevitable. This discussion always leads to Slack. Yeah. Why are so many Salesforce customers using Slack now? Yeah, it's just it's because taking, it's better for team communication. I mean, Chatter seems okay as a way to kind of notify of things happening with your records and within the system, and it's okay for 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 things where all your users are in it and collaborating on records in the system. But ninety percent of the time, we're looking for a way to communicate outside of email. We're looking for ways to not have to send that email and have it sit in someone's inbox that's already flooded. You want to be able to do that quick message okay. or create all these different organization channels and things like that you get with Slack. And so Slack is much better for that type of team communication because it just seems what better suited for that. That's what it was designed for. I'm not sure exactly well, what Chatter was designed and for. Just all, I don't, it was the, I, I think the, okay, the social enterprise, John. It was designed for the, the social enterprise. The idea of Chatter was, was good. I, I, I bought onto the idea of Chatter. <laughs> I, I think it's great that the data is, is participating in the conversation, that in your feed you can know that certain things happen with certain records. However, I think, I think it hasn't been expanded on enough or the tooling hasn't been... The UI is still bad. The UI, it just, it's, it's, not, it's not there yet. And, and maybe, maybe with Lightning, we'll get a whole new Chatter <clears throat> interface and it'll get better. But as of right now, it's great to have the Chatter feed. It's useful for a lot of things. But it's not great for that kind of team collaboration on things that are maybe a little more dynamic, a little more kind of, maybe not, not, not vague. That's not the word I'm looking for, but almost just, just miscellaneous. You know, that miscellaneous conversation that happens between two people about a, it's kind of on the outskirts of the project. It's kind of related or those kind of extra questions. It just doesn't seem like chatter is the good place for that. No. But anyways, that's kind of way off topic from what you were trying to do because we're actually trying to communicate data. Right. And it's just, I, I, I don't know. My, my takeaway from this is just that this is just one of those things where you think, okay, gosh, surely we can use Salesforce for this and it won't be, we won't regret it like five minutes into it. Now, I feel but, obligated but to tell the story that well, I'm at not this done. point in time, Jeremy is extremely frustrated. He's mad. His face is red. He's, he's ready to throw his keyboard because he's pissed because we bought onto this whole idea that Chatter was going to serve the feeds. And now we're coming into all these issues and, and for some reason we can't, we can't get it done. I mean, the silver lining here for this particular story is that I found a workaround. I mean, I found a different way to do it, which, which, meets, which meets our requirements good enough. Yeah. Which is? Um, it's to, okay. To post. En- enable, enable feed, what is it called? A tracking feed? 
Yeah. Got tracking, enabled, which is weird. What am I tracking? 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 Feed, feed tracking. tracking. Yeah. I was just, yeah, this terminology is just weird. They, they know. They didn't get the UI right. They don't get, they didn't get the terminology right. Anyway. Did you, you have to tremorology? Trip. I don't know. <laughs> if, that, if I did, I meant terminology. That's what whiskey will do to you. Um, no, you have to go into like setup chatter and then tra- feed tracking or tracking feeds or whatever. I think it's tracking And then feed. you get a list of all your. Or feed tracking. Sorry. Damn it. All your, all, all your objects. And so I went into this. And, and in fact, one of the, one of the, the, in this list of objects, your knowledge article types will show up. And so I went to the knowledge article type and I enabled feeds for it. And then you can go to an article you've written. And since now you have a chatter feed on it, you can mention people and groups. And what I needed to be able to do is mention a group. That's all I, do. That's all I needed to do is mention the group. So it shows up in that group's feed. Yeah. And then, of course, we're not, you know, again, we don't have actual, our users are not consuming any of the Salesforce UI directly. It's just, it doesn't make yeah. sense. But it does get it in the feed. We're using, again, we're using Chatter's kind of like a mule or like a, as a, just a mechanism to, as a feed mechanism, a, a you know, re- reverse con- chronological feed mechanism. And you know, I think the reason we want to do that is because, well, theoretically, you know, it's got groups, it's got topics, and we can use these to get things into different people's feeds depending on what group they're in or what they're, something characteristic about them, right? Right. Um, it's already this reverse chronological thing. It's got timestamps. It's got versioning doesn't have link to record links to records unfortunately but you can it can be a post can be parented by a record so if when you when you post a chatter post under a record that's that's basically the way to mention a record you have to go to that record and as, and as long as you can tag your group or your topics that you for, so it shows up in the right people's feeds then again for us it works right? right it's got paging built in there's an you know there's a paging api so it made it it may it would it did make sense that if we could use Chatter to use it for that reason, and and, right. and it's going to work. But man, but I think it's interesting though to just see that that how many how many companies, teams, whatever are just on mass adopting Slack. These are you know hardcore Salesforce adoptees, right? Yeah, adopters deciding to break out of Salesforce and use Slack, right? And obviously they're foregoing a lot there. They are saying, hey, we're willing to move to a communication system that's not integrated. I mean, there, there are some Salesforce integrations or whatever, but it's yeah. not nearly as integrated with Salesforce. It's not inside Salesforce. Right. You can't, you can't Slack post under a record into a records chatter feed, right? If you're saying, hey, we're willing to give that all up because Slack is so much better than chatter in, cer- in, in certain aspects. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, Maybe again, that's a call to smart action for, for the good day, sir, chatter application. <laughs> if there was a way to do it that made sense, that wasn't something that Salesforce would easily come and just, you know, blow you out of the water, then. Well, that's yeah. the risk. I mean, if you want to go out there and, and <clears throat> fill this gap, it's tough because you have to weigh the, the, the perspective of is Salesforce going to actually try to fix this and will they fix it well enough that it'll replace what I'm trying to do? It, their marketing, with their marketing power, they'll, they'll kill you anyway. I mean, they're. Their wealth management app. There's plenty of other good wealth management apps that are built on Salesforce. And sales, it doesn't matter if Salesforce's their new vertical in wealth management is better than the other ones. It's going to kill them. I don't know. I, so, so here's a question in terms of just in terms of gen, Salesforce in general is is are they getting too big to be best of breed of anything other than CRM? Of course they are. I've been this has been I've been saying this since we've done this podcast. I mean, we talk about Chatter, so, but Chatter. The reason people are moving away from Chatter is because it's not best of breed. Team communication. No. That's what they're going to Salesforce Slack for. isn't best of breed with anything. That's what I've been saying. That's my story on Salesforce. It's not best of breed anything. The value of Salesforce is that you need if you need a lot of these different things, they're all kind of tied together. It, 
in some way or another, some of them better than others, but it's tied together on a, what in the world was that? That was not me. On generally the, the, um, oh, that's, that's a, what the heck is this? Is it, can you hear that? Mm-hmm. But anyway, they're tied together on, on kind of the same platform so that theoretically you can easily connect these things and whatever. Yeah, I mean, Salesforce, it's, it's not the best CRM, if that's all you need, CRM. It's not the best at... Is, is, it, even, <clears throat> is it even kind of fair to, to expect that? To expect Salesforce can be best to breed it at these other things? Does, doesn't that take a certain type of commitment? I mean, right now they're focused on growth and acquisitions and mm-hmm. all that kind of things, I, and they're fastest to 10 billion. Fair to Does ex- that mean that uh-huh. they, can, they can actually sit here and focus and say, we're going to build the best collaboration I don't system th- and put it into Salesforce? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I'd buy the premise of your question. I don't expect Salesforce to be best of breed at anything. They've never shown that they are. Why would I expect that of them? So it doesn't matter whether it's fair well, to you expect, expect that. Because the tools are going to work the way, the way you expect them to. <clears throat> No, I don't expect them to work well. I don't expect their tools to work well because they never have. How long have you been using the Clips? Would Clip? you like them to how work long, that how, well? How long has Eclipse IDE been out for Salesforce? That's true. But, I mean, it's that's, been terrible the whole time. But, but we know that- How long has Dev Console been out? It's been know, terrible the whole time. We know full, full well that as developers, we're the redheaded stepchild of, of the development world. No, developers, developers, developers. Come on, man. The whole floor was nothing but developers at Moscone West. Whatever. The day day Benioff gets up there and screams, developers, 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 then I'll believe it. But right now, he's he's focused on admins, admins, admins. That's what he's focused on. Well, those are are their developers now. That's what they call developers. that's That's not me hating on admins. I'm just saying that, you know, we have certain needs as well. We want to take this platform to a whole new level and provide the solutions that our customers think that they can they can do in Salesforce. And be able to actually do it and deliver it and, and enjoy doing it. Right now, it's kind of painful. Here's a challenge. I would like for Benioff to actually develop something on his platform. Oh, he there would there'd be some contrived thing he would build. No, that's, I mean, take a real world. No, yeah. Build a freaking, <clears throat> him actually take something and build it. John, he runs his business from his watch. He, ha- he can't build anything. He's a developer. He can do it. Okay. I just want him to understand our pain. Whatever you want to believe. I want him to understand our pain. He, He's used to. He's got. He's, to got be he's got plenty of his own pain to deal with, John. He doesn't need our pain. <laughs> All right, then Parker. Parker needs to feel our pain. Yeah, that, make, that might make more sense. Um, another fun thing about Chatter that I discovered is when you have a community, a Salesforce, like a customer community, that and they're using Chatter in the community, right? Um, your internal Salesforce users who also participate in the community, when they're in the community and they they post a Chatter post, there's a drop down for. Do you want? just your internal Salesforce user to be able to see this post? Or do you want all people who have visibility to see this? And its default is internal people only. And there's no way to change that default. And the problem is, as I discovered just by Googling around is it's a massive usability issue that you just, all these internal people that are participating in the communities, they don't remember to change that dropdown and you can't change the default. Oh yeah. And so it's just, they basically have this kind of busted community where Half the time, they people forget to make the messages even visible to the community. Right. And you can't change the default. Sorry. Um, but also, this the, 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 the global header that you get when you, I guess if you have to separately enable it, but if, when you have communities, you know, you get the global header bar across the top. Is that just when you have communities or is, are there other use cases for having that global header? The black bar, right? It's usually just when you have communities enabled. Um <laughs> I've seen well. Squid has a new header, but that's that's their own doing. <clears throat> and Lightning does not have that. I don't think. 
Well, anyway, this black global header is a usability disaster. First of all, it's so obviously just this bolt-on. I mean, it literally looks like a different team from a different country built this oh, header and bolted it onto the top of Salesforce. On. Process Builder has that, and I think Flows has that. Okay. And some of the newer tools has that so the, kind of vague top toolbar that's up there. I don't. I think it's just a... I don't see it as a bad thing. I think it, it's less real estate. Than it is the a huge... bad thing. It's first of all, it's ugly. It doesn't even look like Salesforce. Second of all, it takes things that used to be in the nor- on the normal Salesforce screen and moves them up into the black header bar without you realizing. But that's it. because you're used to. Third the... of all, it's implemented as a damn iframe, and oh, it, when you click well. it and do something, and then you go and then you like because I I'll do like you know open a new tab or I'll shift click like I'll pull down something on the black header bar and shift click and it opens a new browser. But then when I go back to my old browser. I try to because I'm key I'm a keyboard guy keyboard driven right. Mm-hmm. And you, by by the way, if you have any uh, people with disabilities or their sight challenging these kind of things, this is who this affects, right? Right. Now you're you when you're when you're in the in the window that you use the that you use the global header bar because it's in a different iframe. Now your focus is is in that is in that separate frame, and nothing on the Salesforce on the normal Salesforce screen works anymore. You can't tab. You can't you know you can't do. You have to literally click back into the main Salesforce frame. Right. I mean, just the well, the way they did the whole thing is is an implementation disaster. I, I agree; it was implement, implemented poorly. But the idea that you you would have a smaller set, a smaller real estate taken up by that type of action, that makes sense to me. But I agree; the implementation of it is poor. I'm not following you. What, what do you mean, smaller real estate? Well, I mean, one thing about that small header bar is is it re- reduces the need to have that mm-hmm. entire top header section of Salesforce because it's still there. No, I'm talking about in Lightning because they oh, okay. kind of they've kind of expanded that into Lightning, and that's kind of Lightning's thing is that that top header bar where the searches and and your your menu system and all that kind of stuff is. It's a much better use of that real estate, and once you get used to it, it'll be good because it'll be taking up less vertical real estate in terms of your content and things like that. So most of it'll be above the fold. So, I think as a usability thing, it's a good thing. Their implementation, at least their current implementation, as they applied it to communities, is very poor. And in your examples are, are perfect examples of why it's poor. Yeah. Um, man. So communities. I mean, the thing is, the funny thing about communities is that communities is a weird cross section of all the of many Salesforce features they brought together to make communities. And it really, I mean, there's so many edge case bugs in communities. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So do you remember a while back when? And again, this is kind of on the path to. Uh, hang on, I got to. I got to pull out the uh, clip if I can find it. This is on the path to. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. And and becoming profitable. Um, they, if you're an ISV, you'll you'll know this. They increase the percentage of your revenue they take from. 50, I think it was from 15 percent to 25 percent. We talked about this. Couple, couple yeah, we talked ago. about it because I didn't think that was true. And then, yeah, well, you didn't, upon, you, didn't, you didn't know they had a take. Yeah, on, on further research, I found out it is a thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so now what they've done, I don't even know if this is public knowledge yet. Um, they are So right now you can have, like, basically there's a, I don't know if there's a category, but it's basically like, they, I think they call it connected cloud tools. So let's say you have an app exchange that basically just enables your Informatica integration or your MailChimp connection or your... DocuSign. Basically, they're kind of like lightweight integrations to bring in this functionality of this other app that you're paying for separately, right? You're paying Informatica for their separate system. You're paying MailChimp right. separately from Salesforce. And Salesforce has always allowed those apps to be free. You don't have to charge for those apps. 
you don't have to. Well, now you do. I don't know what the details are, but they're going to make you. Those are no, no longer going to be free apps. So like the MailChimp connector app no mm-hmm. longer can be free. You're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have ISVs are going to have to charge for that app. Why are you saying that? Because there's a because Salesforce is imposing a fee on them. No, because Salesforce doesn't because Salesforce only makes money if you're charging because they get a percentage. They get 25 percent or whatever the percentage, 35 percent. I'm not sure what it is. Oh, right. Because they would they would kind of. So what's 25 percent of zero? Yeah, now, that's, that's the problem. So 99 cents? <laughs> I don't know what, I, yeah, that's a, that'd be a good question. But what's the minimum? Yeah. It, yeah, you're right. It's it's the fastest in billion. <laughs> it's one way to, to I mean, add, they're doing all kinds it's of. It's one way to add some revenue to that stream. Did we talk about how, I think it's bigger, mainly bigger accounts are getting calls from Salesforce saying, hey, yeah, we're going to need you to renew early. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's that based on? It just seems so out there. Just. I can tell you what it's based on. Just look like, at the deferred revenue number. It's like meeting someone in a, in a gara- dark garage. No, it's deferred. With the headlights on and going, shh, I got to see. Okay, so I don't want to get into it right now because I, I don't want to take the amount of time it's going to take. But they a couple of weeks ago, sales, or last week, Salesforce released their their earnings. What would have been their Q3? Huh. And 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 this is it's, it's remarkable. Can't be Q3. It's got to be Q4. Well, their fiscal year is one month ahead. I think no, because last time we talked about the whole um, it doesn't, women in tech thing. Yeah. I think I was looking at Q three numbers. So maybe it's for Q four then. Their their fiscal year, I believe, starts in it's either December or February. It's one month off. Yeah. Um. So so right now they're they they've been since I think yeah since February they st- that's when their fiscal year two thousand sixteen started. So they're basically eleven months ahead. Uh-huh. So as soon as we get to next February, it's going to be their 2017 fiscal year. Anyway, I'm this, this is one thing that if you listen to, you know, not investors that are paid for by Salesforce or that have, you know, these Faustian deals with, but actual, and you know, investors that don't have a, a horse in the race. They're amazed. I mean, it's, it's, it's not amazing. It's obviously planned, but how Salesforce literally like perfectly hits their their numbers that they that they estimate that they their guidance numbers they give to Wall Street every single quarter they uncannily nail it and they always but they always beat by like you know 2 cents it's always a 2 cent beat hmm. every single time and people are like listen i don't care how well you run your business you can't perfectly nail it exactly that that perfectly every time that's why so many people think that they're they're playing with they can they can move things around between kind of deferred or not. There's there's a certain amount of gray area where they can shuffle things back and forth in order to get that exact beat they want or what or whatever their target is. But it's it's not, it's not a matter of profitability. It's a matter of just the the revenue that's coming in. It's, right? Yeah, it's more of a revenue, revenue numbers. Thing. I mean, profit. I mean, so they're you know non gap. They're technically profitable right. I mean they're, they're I believe I mean they're, they're cash flow positive although they I think they're having margin issues but they're they're they have operating cash flow they have free cash flow mm-hmm. um, but that's if you don't count things like stock based compensation right that's what gets you into non-gap territory if you don't count that um, but yeah they're, they're just yeah I think we're going to see them doing more they're, you're going to see them raising rates on things getting chintzy on things charging more for things raising their take on app exchange you know not wanting you to do free apps anymore they're calling you to try to, to get you to sign early and if you and if you'll again it's not a cash flow thing I don't think they're trying to get you know, necessarily pay earlier they just need the deal they need the deals done earlier 
And they, they're going to want longer well, term deals. They want, they want to show that deferred revenue. Exactly. They want to because show that contract, growth. that contract Listen, out for this, no, the next two, three years. Salesforce is, for a 16-year-old company, Salesforce's stock is amazingly valued and viewed as like a young growth stock. That's how investors are still treating it. They're giving them Salesforce that benefit of the doubt. They have no, they have basically no earnings, but they're, they're valued at, you know, like a $60 billion company. But there's a company that, you know, basically 70, I mean, most of their money, like a, an, a very unhealthy amount of money is required in order to actually sell and market Salesforce. It, it costs them way too much to sell Salesforce, right? But so they're still being given the benefit of the doubt that you're a growth company. So we're going to, we're going to keep your, we're going to, you know, okay, we'll, we'll pay $80 a share for your stock, right? You know, your market cap is 50 billion. You're a $50 billion company. We're willing to give you that because we, because we built, we believe that you're investing, you're taking what would have been profit, right? For, which is what investors care about. And you're reinvesting that. But to, that, to that's, grow, that's right? the whole, it's a choice. That's not, a, that's, not, that's not just Salesforce in general. That's the no, whole no. new model. That's the mm. Amazon model. That's the Google model. I mean, everyone's about this. <clears throat> we're reinvesting. We're growing. We're still we're still growing. I, Amazon is a sim, very similar story, right? But at some point, if you don't start showing profitability, or if your growth starts to slow and investors start getting nervous, that's when your that's when your stock price starts dropping. Yeah. And so what I'm saying here is. Salesforce is, I think they're slowly, you know, moving towards the direction of, of profitability. Still not there yet, but they're, they're slowly getting there. The, but that's fine. Wall Street is willing to give them, the, they're being patient, right? They're, they're okay with having patience with that. What they're not okay with is if your, if your revenue is not kind of keeping up at that same growth rate. And it's slowed. You know, they used to talk about 30%. Yeah. No other software company has grown at 30% a year, blah, 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 right? You notice you don't hear that 30% number anymore because it's slipped under that. Right? That's, you know, it's 20-something percent now. Yeah. But still, I mean, they're still growing. Obviously, that's still a fast growth rate. And there's, you know, I, th- I think the, the service cloud numbers um, are really good. I mean, their growth rate on service cloud. I mean, CRM is still, or what is it, sales cloud, I guess. What, is that what you call it now? <laughs> um. <laughs> And when you say CRM, you're showing your age. Sales cloud. <laughs> or as Oracle calls it. What do they call it? CRX? Customer or CX or something? Customer experience is what. Yeah. yeah you can't say CRM anymore. Um, yeah. Sales cloud is, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, I don't want to say it's saturated because that's not true because there's, if you look at market share, I mean, Salesforce only has like 18% market share in CRM. Yeah. But I mean, let's not, let's not forget that Wall Street's all about making news. They, they, they want, they want the drama. They want the drama of not meeting the numbers, meeting the numbers. They want the drama of, oh, we're a growth company. I mean, look how they treat Apple, who's got billions of dollars in cash in the bank and how they treat their stock. They barely were, they barely valued for their cash they have, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just insane how Wall Street thinks. If you're not making news, if you're not making waves, then you're nothing. Well, and don't, and again, I didn't, I did not want to get in this conversation because it's, it really takes more time to talk about all the things I want to talk about, about it. I'm just saying in general, but, I, I, I agree that Salesforce is probably paying with the numbers, but they're also just playing the game that Wall Street expects because obviously they don't, they don't care no. that you're, that you're steadily, that you have cash in the bank, that you're, you're a stable <clears throat> company. They don't care about any of that. All they care about is yeah. what's the news of the day? What can we sell to our clients to get more, more money basically? Well, keep in mind again, I'm going to say this and then we're going to change topics because I, I want to, okay, I do want to say this. I don't want to ruin this topic because I want right. to give it proper treatment, but Salesforce is Basically, ninety percent institutionally owned, incredibly high number. They're owned by a few small banks. 
So these guys are all in this game together. They know what they're doing. They're keeping the stock propped up because they want to have their they want to have their day when they right when they make it on this. When Microsoft or Oracle buys them for eighty billion, that, that's you know that's a fine <laughs> exit strategy. Yep. And as long as you've kept the stock price propped up that whole time, mm-hmm. again, there's only a few of them. It's not like it's it's not like it's that hard. It's not like they're dealing with being owned by you know ninety percent by you know hundreds of thousands of individual investors. It's just a few banks that own Salesforce, and that makes a difference. That you can do. It changes your strategy. You can, there's you know that gives you <laughs> some options. <laughs> Because like you, know, like you said, I mean, Apple Apple generates just an army load of cash every quarter. Hmm. And, and, and Wall Street's like, eh, okay. Because, it, I mean, I don't know if it's already built into their stock price or... But, they're, you know, Apple's not highly valued. I mean, their PE ratios are very moderate. I don't I can't can't quote you what it is off the top of my head, but... Whereas Salesforce are, you know... Salesforce is valued... For what it is, much more higher than Apple is. And again, to, to me, that, that makes no logical sense whatsoever. But then if you remember, well, Salesforce is 90% owned, and it's 90% owned by a few small banks. It's, I mean, how do you get a stock price to drop? You start selling it, right? Well, these guys aren't going to sell. Not until there's an acquisition or there's some other kind of exit strategy for them. So they're basically keeping the stock Salesforce price up. Salesforce won. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> a little trigger happy there. Salesforce One is going to do it for them, right? Exactly. <laughs> Salesforce One mm, slash Lightning is trying slash to talk experience to us. slash whatever. All right. So moving on. We'll move on from that. All right. So it's actually not a bad segue to Salesforce marketing. Okay. <laughs> do you know that the Stack Exchange is having to come up with a new logo? The, the Salesforce? The Salesforce Stack Exchange. Because they have, they have a cloud and it's got their little network diagram in the cloud. And so here's the post. It says... Two things. Well, the title of the post is "Let's pick a new logo for Salesforce Stack Exchange." Two things. Oh, it's the blue poo with um, with lines through it. Salesforce loves the community. I know because I. And this is, I guess, Sam. Sam the brand. Sam the brand speaking. Salesforce loves the community. I know this because I got out got out of a lunch with Nick Tran and Dominic Silet. We ate sloppy joes. They gush over you. I guess Stack Exchange in general. Two. They tell us we have to kill the cloud. We can use a cloud, just not their specific sacred oh, brand Oh, don't mark. use our logo, yeah. Well, they have kind of destroyed the logo. I don't blame them for this. So they own the cloud, apparently. Yeah, sure, sure they do. That's a trademark. Yeah. I'm sure it's trademarked, right? And so, they, they took Salesforce's blue poo trademark and put a network diagram over it. Yeah, right? basically. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, like, don't mess with my logo, man. So a word of advice to anyone who's out there trying to come up with a company or logo and trying to attach it to the cloud or to Salesforce. Um, you might want to make sure you're not using the exact structure of circles that make up that cloud. Is this supposed to be our hot drama segment? Dun, dun. Well, it's interesting because people are pointing out that there's clouds everywhere. Amazon has clouds. Uh, Google well, no, has, but that clouds. Is, that is Salesforce, has clouds. That's Salesforce's exact blue poo logo. I know. So yeah, there's drama around that. And it's interesting because I look, I read the thread where they're like, let's come up with some ideas. No one is coming up with any other ideas other than some kind of variation of the cloud. They want to add an extra circle here or there. They want to change the network diagram, even though that won't meet the requirements. It's just, yeah. can we get out of this whole cloud thing for a yeah. while, people? Avoid the blue poo drama. Let's, let's, let's stop with the clouds. I remember when you and I were talking about the logo for our, for our podcast, we, we were very adamant, not only by name, but 
imagery that we weren't going to do clouds that we were we that's just that's just not the thing to do because that's yeah. so that's going to date really it really is quickly. It's, well, it's already overplayed it means yeah. nothing you know it used to mean i mean cloud computing used well, to now everyone's trying to redefine the cloud right what is you know beware the false cloud now, well what's the real cloud then? well announced salesforce has clouds they're not just in the cloud they have clouds they've invented clouds yeah so there's that yeah we got to look at uh, Benioff's office. You know, I saw I saw that article, but I didn't look at it again. Back to my, <laughs> I've I've been stuck in a. It's, a it's kind of interesting, bunker. and I'll I'll give my take on his office. It's it's actually really cool, very kind of geek, geek chic. Is that what we can call it? <laughs> there's a lot of nerdy little elements. There's a lot of Star Wars things. There's a lot of little action figure things. You know, those kind of fun, playful yeah. things. Yeah, Mark is. A I hip. myself have in my office, by the yeah, way. That's because Mark. Mark is a hip nerd. However, right? I agree with that because I'm going to say that this is this is kind of hipster nerdism kind of thing because I can tell someone designed it for him. Yeah, and you know why? That's lame. Because there are no antiques in there. There's no antique toys. There's no antique action figures. They're all modern versions of those of all of those. All you had to do is get on eBay. Just I buy know. some, right? It's it's the modern version. It's the modern version of the the characters. The modern mm. take on them. It's the modern take of the huge Leia statue that's there. Um, so the design, everything is, is is basically Benioff said, "Hey, I'm into this geek culture thing. Design it for me. Make it cool. Yeah, I need I need the geeks to love me. What what should I do?" <laughs> So while I, I I commend him for his 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 style because I'm I'm similar to that and I have a lot of new stuff in mind as well I don't have any antiques either because I but I do love the culture I do love the you don't have any uh, like vintage Star Wars stuff I don't what I do have is I have like these canvases that are vintage uh, <clears throat> that are taken from vintage comic books so they're actual cells they're not actual hand drawn cells but they're canvas art of the actual individual cells so it kind of looks vintage um, I'm not. Um, worth three billion dollars to be able to go out and buy some of this actual vintage stuff that benioff is well he didn't buy any of it so so um, that's what that's what's weird like you think they would have done that i know you would have think they would have gotten some real stuff that's worth some money maybe you just didn't see it you wouldn't you didn't he has a standing desk by the way with a treadmill actually he has two desks he has the standing desk with a treadmill and the regular desk and each have dual dual monitors on him by dell well of course he has a standing desk my Fitbit with a treadmill. He's yeah, got his Fitbit man. He's got to get his steps in. I, I believe he got that to compete for the Fitbit challenge. <clears throat> well, that's done. Unless he does another one. I don't know. He's a Colin Powell bobblehead, apparently. <laughs> All right, man. You got anything else? Or yeah. Okay. Um, I have a video. Do you have my video queued up? It's in the know. notes. I'm not even. I don't even have a browser open. This video is a little bit long, but I think it's worth. Listen to the whole thing, and I'm going to introduce it before you play it. So, is there any like time code on it or anything? Or no, it's just the, the it's whole just thing the, from this beginning is... to end. It's about three minutes, and so we'll we'll get a three minute break while you guys listen to this. But I I found this, and I thought it perfectly illustrates how we feel sometimes in the community, the consulting community. I'll say, those of us that are consultants. Uh, I have your uh, request for proposal. Request for proposal? What the hell is this? I saw this. So here's the RFP. I'm going through this strategic process, right, where I'm going to pick my personal trainer. You give me the designs on spec, and uh, then we'll see how I like the finished product, and maybe I'll pay for the build. (laughs) 
That's great. Doesn't that sound good? It sounds completely it sounds awesome, backwards. doesn't it? I don't have a dollar yeah. seventy-five in my budget right now just to oh. try one coffee willy-nilly oh, to see story. if I like it or yeah. not. <laughs> That's why I would like a spec one. A spec coffee. No. Yeah. You guys can make me a spec breakfast, right? And then if I enjoy it, I'll make you guys my ROR, my restaurant of record. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And then come I come on, back. Don't and... pull my leg. Come on, get out of yeah. my place. Come on. <laughs> I'm busy. So you don't do spec frames? Not at all, no. Okay, and then how do you get clients? Customers trust me and uh, they like the quality of work I do. I definitely want you as a client, but I'm going to start providing my services day one, so you've got to start paying day one. That's Yeah, that's uh, that guy gets a... <laughs> when I start working, you start paying. Exactly. That's the way it works. Do we want to keep going with this? Yeah, keep going. How businesses work. What if you were just my client, like right now, and you were paying for your coffee? How am I going to know if I like the coffee if just, I don't get to try you just it gotta first? Trust. Be like everybody else do. You know what I mean? First you pay, then you eat. If I do like the frames, then I will buy more frames off you for a year, but that will come with a fee reduction, and then maybe the next year after that, <laughs> another fee reduction of another twenty percent off. But I will be giving you business. No, I'm an architect, I'm a professional, and I get paid for my time. I will own all the rights to all the different training methods you've, uh, we've gone through. I'm going to teach you how to do stuff, right. and then you own my intellectual property. Exactly. Absolutely not ever would I do that. Why wow. would, who would ever agree to that? Okay, so I'm noticing that our chemistry is not really jiving right now. Yeah, I'm going to guess no. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you work for the government, don't you? What's the matter with you, man? I have other restaurants that will do it for free, and I want to. Uh, I've gotten that Get one. Out of here. Come on, go for yeah. it. Why you come here? Move your ass out from here. Come on. Do you do what you do for free? Uh, no. So why do you want me to? Yeah. This is the the no spec movement. I've been following yeah. this for a while. It's really, I mean, it's. It's it's uh, it's an art. Actually, it was an AIGA. The um, uh, what does the AIGA stand for? Uh, the Graphic Arts. Um, yeah, this is definitely Professional Association for Design. Is yeah. what. But anyway, um, yeah, because they're the ones who get it probably the worst. They yeah, they, they, they get it the work. worst in terms of just design and everything. I mean, it's yeah. just oh my gosh, the opportunity is going to be so big here if you just if you just do this one first project yep. for free. You, you, man, you're going to have your foot in the door. You're going to make a name for yourself here. There's going to be so much business. I know. But it, it, they have it the worst, but the, in general, the consulting industry, I guess, in general, has to face that. They have to face the, the prospects that people want us to try to do things for free, to prove ourselves, to do you know, proof of concept work and all that kind of stuff for yep. free. And it's, it's, it's a challenge for us to kind of constantly just say, hey, you're, you're basically asking me to do work for free. Would you do this for free? Because I don't think so. You get this one where someone will call you and say, "Hey, um, yeah, I noticed you you billed me the time when we were when we were working on that, you know, had that design session when we were just talking." Yeah, you, you billed me for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the most val- one of the most valuable parts, right? And that again, it's it's your time. It's my time. That's yeah. it's my time. You're buying really. And that, that that's that's a kind of it's <clears throat> it's almost something to kind of think about when you get into the consulting world. Is is it's 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 different from when you're salary. It's different from when you're getting paid by the hour in terms of a company. You know, every, every minute that I'm on the phone with you is my time that I could be making money, that I could be doing something else for someone else. So when someone comes and, say, and says, oh, I just need you on this, this pre-sale call and, and, you know, 
it'll 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 pay off in the end and there's some kind of ROI, you know, that's I'm having to learn myself from going from into the freelance world that you know, I have to start charging for everything. I have to be conscious of of what I'm, you know, how much time people are taking from me and the value of that time. Right. The, those are some, I don't think we've really gotten into it, but the idea of, you know, how do you charge per hour or do you charge per, like per project, more value-based pricing? And, and then how does, that, how does that tie into the process that you, you know, assuming you're building something, how, how does that tie into the software development process you use? Yeah. I mean, if it's, if you're, you know, if you're doing some agile project where you don't even really understand all the requirements, of course, the truth is you never, no one ever understands the requirements up yeah. front, but agile is when you actually admit that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, the, the video is kind of kind of funny in the in the in the aspect that you know we have these things we want you to do and what kind of want you to do it for free to prove yourself. Um, but the other side of it is that there's that gray area of you know you're, you're young, you're trying to get started in this freelance thing, you're trying to figure out how do I get my foot in the door, how do I do this? You know, you're also kind of trying to weigh what value that had. I, I struggle with this all the time. Should I charge for that call where someone called me for five minutes and asked me a few questions? Should I charge the 30 minutes it took me to craft that email that maybe take a minute to read, but it was well thought out and full of facts? I mean, was it part of delivering value for the project, for the client, for the... It, it, okay. It, well, in then, my opinion, it was, but I mean, it's, it's that well, if constant not, if battle not, of... If not, then you shouldn't do it. You should never... Listen, the only reason you would spend time on a project for a client is because... It's part of some process that's valuable to them. It's a, it's just a required step in getting from point A to point B where there's value. Uh, yeah, and I agree. I, th- I think it's just this mental hurdle of, you know, I had to think about that. I had to do this. You really should be charging for that. But there's that mental struggle of, was it valuable? Was it really pertaining to this? Is that something I should have already known and given and been able to give a five minute answer? You know, it's it's all that kind of psychological aspect of it that kind of prevents you from from kind of going. Should I charge for that? Yeah. Well, but either way, I, th- I thought the the video was right on with 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 a lot of requests that I've gotten, it's especially in it, from developers. It comes in the form of a proof of concept that that thing of I don't <clears throat> I don't know that you can do this, so go out and build it so I can see if you can do it. We need to put on our future topic list the you know billing hourly versus billing. Per project, per whatever. I would, because I would imagine we have, we probably have quite a fairly high percentage of people that listen to the podcast that 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 sell their time. That's how they make their money is their is their time, right? Or or some kind of project based thing. So this is something that probably I would think people would be interested in, but I think so. I think that's something we can expand on and talk about and share personal stories. Yep, things like that. Um, but moving from moving on from that, uh, I've been working on a data migration lately. Oh, fun! <laughs> you know, I, I typically enjoy data migrations. I will say that I like working with the data. I I, I like. Now I know you're lying. Really? No one enjoys data migrations. In fact, you get a. No, I I I used to enjoy them. I'll I'll say this: I used to enjoy them, and here's why. Because at some point, I got really good at them. I had a well-oiled process on my own. A what? Try that again. <laughs> a well-oiled process. There you go. I don't know why that came out the way it did. <clears throat> Too much whiskey. 
Um, and I was working with people who understood my process and what I needed. So the interaction with the client, the data mapping process and everything was well-defined. There was no vagalities. Is that a word? Vague. Vagaries. Vagaries. There you go. So there's no vagaries in, in the mapping. There was no assumptions being made. Everything was well-defined and strictly defined because that data map to me is the Bible of that migration. If it's not in the data map, it's not going to happen. If you don't tell me in that data map to put this field here or this data here, it's not going to happen. If you don't tell me that this data looks like this today, but we want it to look like this tomorrow, it's not going to happen. Well, and this is because I've done a lot of, I try, I avoid data migrations, but I've done a lot of them in the past. And the thing is, is you have to, like, so you, they have to tell you, and sometimes you have to force them to like cover all the, all the different points, all the different bits of data and how you, you know, how you want this, this is how it is in this system. How do you want it to look in this system? And, yeah. and they can tell you what they want, but you have to take them through that. But then you could actually translate that to, okay, that means take a substring of this and concatenate it to this other field, right? You, you, right. Can, you can actually then write the correct data map. Right. You can't give an empty template to them and say, hey, write the data map for me. Exactly. No way. It's, it requires a level of rigor that, you know, 99.7% of people don't get. They don't, that's not their skill. They would not, they're not trained in that, you know? I mean, I mean, we've been doing data, I mean, you know, you and I, heck, have been doing data migrations together in some way or another for Almost 15 years, right? I mean, yeah, so I it's like, say 15. It's a lot of that. I mean, I, I wasn't trained by some data migration expert. I mean, I basically just learned the hard way, like yeah. of doing it wrong, of doing it wrong and then tra- changing things and finding ways that work and tech and techniques that work and ways of working with people to get them to understand. Right. Right. And just to, f- to lead them through the entire set of data or whatever, but never has it ever been, has it ever worked when I give them a template and say, Hey, just, I need you to fill this out for me. I have done that to get started. So here, I have done the thing where here, especially on simpler data migrations, I'm going to send you a template, you know, Google spreadsheet or something, fill out what you can, and then we will finish the rest together. So at least it gives me a starting point for the real simple stuff so we don't take, so it doesn't, so they're basically spending more more of my time, which is their money, than what they Mm -hmm. need to. And they can, there's a lot they can do as homework themselves. But it's got to then be followed up with a joint session where, I go through and resolve ambiguities and, and tighten everything up and finish the hard parts. And I think for me, that was a lesson learned because I was so used to migrations going so smoothly because people understood that about, or I I was heavily involved in the process enough to to say, Hey, this is not going to work the way you think it is. Or you said you wanted this data, but there's this other data over here that you haven't been thinking about. You're you're assuming that I'm going to bring over this activity data when you say I want to bring over accounts, for instance, All right, so now I'm going to I'm going to hold your feet to the fire now. So, what what is you you were mentioning this data migration that you just you're doing right now, yes. right? Okay, why did you bring that up? Like, what's the, what's your point about this data migration? What because you, I made I made a lot of mistakes. Okay, because I didn't when I got engaged to this data migration, I I I was up front. I said, hey, I don't have time to 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 go back and forth with a client right now. I have other things going on. If you so again, holding your feet to the fire, you should have actually just not done the project. Then, right? I should have not yeah. done the project and because this, I didn't have time to be involved in the process. Right. right. So what happened is someone else did the mapping for me yeah. and worked with the client. And this other person... Um, <laughs> <laughs> other people can do the mapping for you. <laughs> Try that too. <laughs> didn't understand. Well, they tried. They yeah. attempted to. They attempted to understand that. I And here's the other thing about it. It was a Salesforce to Salesforce migration, which further 
reduced my the walls. You know, you know, uh, you get the, you got you got lulled into. I got lulled. It, how exactly. difficult can it be, right? I know it's Salesforce to Salesforce. Uh, right, it's got to be simple. Come yeah. on, it, it's it's an org consolidation. Come yep. on, it's it's not that difficult. Right, it's not like I have to all this. Yep. It it really was it. If if you if at some point in a data migration you think oh that's not too bad it's just this to this that's your point of failure that's the point where you should have asked a little bit more questions to yourself and been honest with yourself and with your client yeah because I did not do this I was like it's a Salesforce Salesforce migration you know Salesforce obviously I'm 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 referring to the guy that's doing the data mapping and I'm like okay well you know Salesforce it's Salesforce to Salesforce get the mapping done with the client because I don't have I don't have the time to do that right now. I can help you get the migration done once it's all mapped, but that's it. So what ends up happening is I get the mappings. First of all, they're incomplete. <clears throat> There's a lot of assumptions being made. For instance, migrate accounts. What the client meant by that is migrate accounts and all the related data to that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Not just contacts Minor and opportunities, detail. but activities and all these custom objects and all these other things that need to be migrated. Yeah. And so there's a lot of assumptions about what I would migrate. I'm like, well, it's not in the mapping document. So I didn't write the script for that. Um, you should have known. I should have what known. What were you thinking? I know. What, what was a reasonable, part, a reasonable person <laughs> would have assumed that. Or, or even just simple things that should have been done. Like we need to migrate opportunity and line items. What's the mapping of this product to this product in the other environment? Yeah. No one did that. Right. So it became towards the end of the, of the scripting process. I'm going, there's all these gaps. There's all these things missing and we're under the gun and that they don't want to move the timeline of when they want to release it or, you know, migrate all this to production. Right. So it's just been this, this, this long drawn out stressful situation. And I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to talk about things that were, I failed and talk about the things that should happen in a typical migration to, for it to be successful. Yeah. Big, whether it's small or large. Right. The same things have to happen. You, you have to map everything explicitly. Yes. You have to go through the process and say, this piece of data at a granular level goes here. Yep. It has to be done. It's tedious. Yep. But it has to be done. If you want it to look differently in the new environment than the original environment, that has to be defined explicitly. Yep. If you're changing data types, that has to be explicitly. Even if it's text to text, you have to understand whether it's 40 characters to 50 characters or 100 characters to 20 characters. Or, or one of my favorites, when you're going from system A to B, you're either n like you're normalizing or denormalizing things, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that happens when uh, systems that you're, that you're migrating have different different data models, different views. Even if you're going from like CRM to CRM, right? Yeah. They have different views of how things are related. And, exactly. And, and how things are normalized. And yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. <laughs> this is this is a minor variation on the theme of, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go, I'll go to the client and get all their requirements and then I'll just, I'll document those and give them to you, then you can build this thing, right? That, you know what percent of the time that works? Zero. Zero. <laughs> you know, I, I can't say that zero. It works oh, some of the time. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. The most simplest, like, you know, <laughs> we need a, a text box and a button that, that does something. Maybe. And something super simple. But even that, you it's know, like you end up with half the, you know, it's like it, you get done. And you're like, oh, this could, you know, this should have been done in this other way. Or we, you know, I guess it might work, but. But see, this assumes that 
we have to be involved in every step of the process. And I'm not trying to say that because there are cases, you know, my default position is though, as I, and until I tell you otherwise, involve me in every step of the process. Exactly. But at some point you work with a project manager or a business analyst long mm -hmm. enough that they understand your process and you understand their process. And you Mm -hmm. have this kind of, but, but you, but, but you're not going to have the domain knowledge. If you are not involved in those conversations where they're talking about stories or specs or, or whatever you want, you're going to just be missing out on so much subtle detail that you don't know to ask for. They don't know to tell you, you know, it doesn't, the, the, you know, the, I'm sorry, man, but the best process is people getting in the same room and talking about the thing yeah, and, and building it together. That is, and that is that as much point, process as I need. To that point, that's the difference between a, to use the term that you hate, resource. <laughs> Right. And a consultant. Right. I, I think that, yes, there are ways that, you know, I can trust a project manager or a business analyst to kind of tell me what I need to do and I can get it done and we can be successful. Yep. But I'm removed from the, from the process of being a consultant. I am then just a body. I'm a resource. I am a whatever you want to call me. I'm the guy just clicking on the keyboard based on uh, typing in instructions. Yep. At no point in the process was I involved to actually consult. To, to tell you my experiences on the situation, to show you what I think will work best to get this accomplished. I've, uh, I've walked out of meetings when I got called a resource. <laughs> and so and my, my lesson learned from, the, from all of this is that I'm in, I'm, I'm in the throes of a very painful data migration. And a lot of it is just a lot of missteps. What are you doing recording a podcast? <laughs> because everyone's on Thanksgiving vacation oh, and right. I can't get any answers to my questions. So I'm, I'm on vacation for now, too. But, I mean, I, I learned a lot from this. I, I, the previous migrations that I've done have been very well oiled. We understood the process. We all understood the mapping and what I needed to, to You're accomplish. You're always talking about oils or oiling things or massages. I know. I hate that. You I hate that I'm saying that. <laughs> what can I say? that You haven't talked about massages today, so. <laughs> you usually talk about, did you, I'm surprised you didn't talk about massaging the data. I have not you didn't talked say about that. massaging the data. <laughs> I enjoy massaging the data. Uh, with oil? <laughs> Honestly, I, I like data. I like working with data. I like moving it and manipulating it and taking stuff out of the data and putting stuff into the data. I, you like data and you cannot lie? Yeah, I like data and I cannot lie. Those are the brothers. Watch me. Data. Watch me. Nay, nay. <laughs> the big data scam is a huge scam. Yeah. I, I don't mind data. I like data. I just, I don't like data when I haven't been involved in the process. I don't have that domain knowledge. I'm forced to rely on someone else's interpretation of that data to accomplish some goal that, that now at this point seems almost unattainable. It, it is what it is. I'm at the point where I'm just kind of, it's being pushed in. If it's not in the map, so what? You know, I feel like a bad consultant. I feel like I'm not doing my job because I don't have the information I need to be able to do it. And my chance to get that information is long gone. Mm, that's, and now I'm at the point where it just oh, so has to get done. We have to meet a, this deadline. Yeah. And as soon as that deadline's met, I'm done. I'm gone. My hand's up in the air. Goodbye. All right. I'm not doing this again. This is remarkably... Um, reminiscent of a death march it is a death march. in in the sense that it sounds like that there's no way this is going to turn out well 
No, because the other part of this is that because the mapping was so vague, no one really knows what needs to be there. They have this entire team of quote unquote validators to validate data that they don't even know what they're validating. They know to see if a record is there that they recognize, but they don't know that everything that was supposed to be there is there. Yep. This this other instance has to get shut down because, as we said before, Salesforce is very expensive. Oh, that, it's just, that that's some, that's maintaining, yeah. multi, you know, double <clears throat> the licensing because all your users are in the new org and they're in the old org, trying to trying to make sense of all this. Yeah. Plus, don't forget your sandboxes that you have that you have to pay for as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah, those are expensive. So it's a big expense. Yeah. So the company wants to kill this org as soon as this migration is done. But my fear is that no one has actually seen the data for what it is. Are they doing a data export before they lose their org? We have recommended they do a full backup. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well. I have, I have consulted at least in that much of a capacity. <laughs> just think, once this data's hit and it's all done, you can just look back and say. What difference at this point does it make? <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I guess I guess it's pretty apparent what should have happened. You have to be involved in the data process. You, yeah, you let someone convince you to um, to short circuit what you knew was the right thing to do, and it's it's easy to get. I mean, I think we all get kind of caught it's, up. It's, in it's that. not just me just trying to tell a story of where I failed. I you know I want to I want to express what needs to happen in a migration for it to be successful. Well, that's that's at least an entire episode unto itself, right? That is our episode. It was a segment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying my tips are make sure you're involved in the process. Make sure everything is defined explicitly. No vagueness. If it's not in the data map, it's not going to get moved. Have a plan for validating the data. Make sure that everyone understands how to validate that data plan. How how, How to validate that data against that plan. Yeah. Test your migrations. Have enough time to run all your migrations and catch any issues that are going to happen because there will be issues. No matter how explicitly you define everything, you will find that there's either some validation rule or some data type mismatch or something that you did not expect is going to happen with the data. So make sure you have the ability to test that migration. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it goes without saying, based on this process you just, just described, data migrations are not cheap. And they're not cheap. Even even ones that are seemingly simple. Yep. One system even to, if you to have the a same CSV system. file right. of just a bunch of records to import. The, if you can't do it with the data loader, it's not going to be cheap. This is why. This is one reason. And I, I, I know you've heard me say this. I, I don't like doing data migrations because there's a million ways that they can go wrong. A, a million ways. And if you do it perfect and you nail it, no one even really appreciates it. They're just like, oh, okay, cool. The data's in there. All right. I mean, because everyone is everyone is focused on all these other tasks that involve switching systems, right? Yeah. And they're stressed out about their own stuff. The here's the two outcomes of data migration: either you won't hear anything, or you you know your phone's ringing off the hook. You got everyone screaming at you because something didn't go right. Yeah. Now, this is not this is not how I want to live. This is not the kind of work I want to do. <laughs> I actually don't mind it because I and, and it, I, I every, like when no, no one matter, calls. No matter what I the, like when I do the migration and no one calls. But here's the other thing: no one likes spending money on data migrations. Well, everyone under because they don't I, see it as like they're getting some new value. They're just closing down one org and moving to another one. It's not. It's, it's not like it's in, entirely underestimated the amount of work and skill it takes to actually take data from one system, 
even if it's Salesforce to Salesforce mm-hmm. and move that, move that data over. Yeah. And there's, there's no great tools for it either. I mean, usually in data migrations, I mean, I'm writing, well, first of all, my, one of my rules in data migrations is completely automated. Pulling, yeah. extracting the data out of the old system, you know, some, some middle step where you're doing all your transformations and then dumping that into CSV or whatever you got to do then to load, load it in the other side. I want it completely automated. And I want See, it, and I, I, like you said, you want to test that beginning to end. You, and you want to, you want to, probably you want to have opportunities to test it multiple times. It's yeah. not going to go right the first time. Right. And, and you may, and it may be one of those things where you start to test it, something breaks, you fix it and you get to move a little bit further in the process. Something else breaks, you fix it. Right. You can't, it's not like you can get a full test run. Right. And here, here's and the, the other the tools thing. Aren't great. That's what I'm saying. Though. The tools aren't great. Usually you're writing in some crappy SQL language or some crappy SQL language, you know, and in, and in the middle, you know, I'm doing, I've got some Python thing or whatever language I've chosen to do all these, you know, more complex transformations, or mm-hmm. I'm taking a word HTML or an Outlook HTML emails and extracting the content from them and reformatting them so they can go into Salesforce as reasonably looking formatted emails, you know, and that's usually, I'm, you know, using, I'll use, you know, Ruby or something like Noko Geary or one of these things that makes it easy to, and I won't say easy because it's not easy, but it's a good tool. But even at that, these are just like these, I feel like I'm always, even though I feel like I've got a, I get a, I have a good process and I do it the way I do it is fairly sophisticated compared to other data migrations I've seen. Right. It's still, I feel like I'm cobbling together just a bunch of crappy tools and it's, and it, but by the way, still better than any, take any of those big enterprise data migration platforms. I will destroy those. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, my, my little, my cobbled together tool set will destroy those. Exactly. <laughs> but here, here's a final point on data migrations. It is the biggest security hole that you could have in your systems. Because at some point, your data has to get moved from your secure system into memory, or if someone isn't doing it's it correctly, someone's hard disk, right? into someone's hard disk yeah. in a laptop somewhere that you don't control. Right. I mean, that's why I do data migrations. It's on and my into laptop. The system. Sorry. Now, at least for me, I try to keep them in memory. I used to do a lot of database translations, and mm-hmm. I try not to do that anymore. I try to keep it, I write a program to migrate it, and I keep it in memory as much as possible. There's, there's just so many times when you can't translate on the fly because you've got a stage. And I so I just, I've, I succumb to that. And I just, so my, my process is I always stage. Yeah. I extract, I transform it, and I stage it because I want to look at this staged thing. Like I want to look at a database that's, ba- you know, like say I'm migrating to Salesforce. Yeah. I want it loaded in a database and the, the tables in this database look exactly like all the objects are being loaded to and everything's ready to go because yeah. it's another level of inspection I can do. That's it kind is. Of, yeah. But it, it, it's, it, oh, sure. again, it's, no, it's a huge I, risk. Right. I mean, if you have very sensitive information in that data, at some point it has to be, it has to be public. At least, oh, no, no, not public. It, well, it's not, not public in the sense that Joe Blow can walk up to it, but it's on someone's computer, it's on someone's hard drive, or some hard drive in general that, that you can't control right. in a state that's raw. Yeah. It's, it's just a trade-off that you have to make these trade-offs, right? Well, it, it's a consideration. It is. It, it's not like you can just say, oh, move this from here to here. You have to actually consider the security implications of what, of what you're moving and how it gets moved, and at least form some kind of plan and agreement on on where that data is going to sit while you transition it while you stage it where's that staging going to be yep uh, and i don't think enough people think about that i, I mean, never i, think I never about, even get asked about it <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i don't want to ask about it because then that then they'll want me to f- oh, sit yeah. in their data center yep. somewhere travel to bfe yeah. nowhere Montana. in their data center and sit there doing my migration it, it's it's kind of inconvenient for me yep 
Yeah. There's other ways to kind of secure the migration process and make sure that you're doing things the right way. But for some reason, some some clients are very old school in their thinking and they want you in a physical location where you can, yeah. where that data is not being moved anywhere else. Yeah. But I mean, hey, everyone's got their price if they're, I mean, I'm yeah. sure for some price I would do that. But raise the rates. Yeah. Either way, the final tip on data migrations is make sure you consider security. Security. Make sure you're not just keeping data on your hard drive, even after it's migrated, yep. because the client thinks they might need you to fix something, get it off your machine, mm-hmm. make sure yeah. that's explicitly defined that once you migrate the data, it's off my machine. I'm not holding on to it for you. I'm not going to keep it for X number yeah. of days because you think you might have missed something. Take a backup, put that somewhere where you control it. If it was a requirement that I immediately get it off my system, then what I would do is I would dump it, zip it, and get it to them. And say, you keep this. Yeah. Because if you need me to change anything, I've got to have this back. And I say that because I have had clients say, well, hold on to it. We might need you to fix something or might need you to update something because someone might find something. Charge them a holding fee. And they'll come. Because that's a burden. You have to now keep their, all of their enterprise data safe and secure, right? Well, I mean, legally you have some, you have privileged information. Exactly. You have information that their consumer have given, has given them. If that, if you got your laptop stolen and someone took that, I mean, they could totally easily sue you for that. Right. Exactly. So this is a burden and this is something you have to probably carry insurance for and whatever. Exactly. You have to take it really seriously that you have your client's information. We're not going to pay you to keep our data. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. (laughs) You're not going to charge me for that hour. We play, we did that data mapping. Are you, we, we just talked. (laughs) <laughs> i love that we just talked we just talked you charge me for talking i'll charge you for talking <laughs> if it's not by the word nah it's by the minute so my rate's really high all right it is four o'clock on the eve of thanksgiving i'm ready to get out of here man i am too happy thanksgiving jeremy same to you happy thanksgiving to all of our listeners all three of them appreciate appreciate all three of you guys Guys and gals. You don't give our listeners enough credit. We have more than three listeners. Are we at four now? <laughs> you gotta let me know when we add a listener. <laughs> I don't have access to the analytics. That's all you, man. We're doing well. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. Thank you.